What does the surge in COVID-19 cases mean for the economy? The Supreme Court gives Trump a win and bye-bye, Seattle Autonomous Zone. (laughs) It's time to get informed, America. You're listening to Get Informed, America, the only true unfiltered show that's fighting fake news and finding common ground. Now, here's your hosts, Dave Oakenquist and Rodney Johnson. Hello and welcome to Get Informed America, the show that breaks through the mainstream media box to bring you real smart news. Hi, I'm Dave Oakenquist and joining me is <laughs> the wizard of wit, the sultan of sanity. What do you think about the prince of preparation, Rodney? We'll, we'll weigh in on that. <laughs> of course, the smartest man I know, Mr. Rodney Johnson, and uh, who is, of course, the editor of InformedAmerican.com. What do you think of prince of preparation, Rodney? <laughs> I'm not feeling it. It's way too close to preparation H and we're not going there. <laughs> I'm feeling older every day. I'm I'm not going there. So we'll stick to Sultan of Sanity uh, for now. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'll, I'll test out a new one every week and get you get you to weigh in. So Ronnie, it's been uh, it's been a busy week as uh, as it seems to have have been for the last what five six months. Always something new, yeah. always something crazy. Uh, but this is not there was, it's not anything new this week as we kick this thing off with our with our main topics, which is. Old news is new news in a sense. More coronavirus cases were spiking. We're getting potentially what people are calling the second wave, uh, as we saw record new cases, uh, I believe, yesterday and then this morning as well. I believe there was over it was forty five thousand, uh, I believe, on Wednesday and about thirty nine thousand new cases today. So this is very very real. Uh, so I'd like to get your thoughts on what what what. What impact are these new this this run up of new cases, particularly in the South? Uh, we're seeing across California, Arizona, Texas, Florida is another big one. Uh, what impact this might have on well, of course, the health of all Americans and uh, and the economy as as we've been trying to open things up again as moving through this. What what's your read on this situation? Well, uh, the average age of the coronavirus infection has dropped dramatically, um, which tells you young people are getting it right. Yeah. And so they're out and about um, and they are going to restaurants. They're going to, uh, you know, bars. They are going to the beach. Uh, they're going to protests. Um, none of these things are exclusive. They're all kind of the lump together of we opened up and we're doing things in groups. And guess what? That's how the virus spreads. And from what I've read, it, it spreads more easily the longer you're in contact. It's not walking by someone. It's spending an hour and a half standing next to them if they're right. infected. And so it makes sense. Uh, we're starting to see some, you know, more people in hospital beds, higher hospitalization rate, which is going to use up some more emergency services and medical services. Uh, the real effect uh, beyond just the health, because we know how that goes now. We have, a, we have a look at it. We don't have a therapeutic that people are set on. We have remdesivir, but remdesivir is a 30 to 40% improvement on a reduction in time. It's not a silver bullet therapeutic for sure. Uh, and we don't have a vaccine yet. I mean, clearly a number of people are working on it, but there's still not that date certain out there where we can say, hey, if these tests work out, then by, you know, October 31st of this year, which would be an amazingly fast anything, uh, that we would have something, or even April 30th of next year. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of puts people back on their heels a bit and say, well, wait a second, this could be around a long time. And, and, and I think we got a, a bit of a false sense of positive 
as states were opening up and we thought, okay, this is a little better. We're going we're gonna to get past this. We're going to move on. And then we saw unemployment drop uh, from 14.7 to 13.3. Yes, I know the, the issues with those numbers, but the drop is the drop. It would have been a drop even with the adjustments people talk about. And people said, hey, you know, unemployment is coming back down. Well, that's true, but continuing claims are still up around 20 million a week and initial jobless claims are sitting around one and a half million a week. And so to kind of wrap all that up, I think it is a, a very large bucket of cold water thrown on what people thought was a warming economy and situation to say, hey, look, yeah. fighting the virus is going to take a long time. The, the normal that we're at for the moment could be around longer. And the people that were struggling and hoping for that you know, ray of sunshine, maybe they're going to be in trouble. And you look at hotels, you look at Airbnbs, you look at um, anything that relies on exceptional density to make money. And I mean, density of people. Restaurants, we always go back to you because no restaurant is set up to make money at 30% of capacity. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, and so it speaks to how this might flow through the business economy uh, in terms of the commercial real estate market and other things. And it could be difficult for a long time. And, and you know, near and dear to everybody's hearts, most people's hearts, is um, the, our distractions. You, you say, hey, wait a second, football is actually in danger here. Yeah. And <laughs> if you don't have a football season, both college and pro, you're going to dramatically change the social side of America because it's not just watching them, right? People gather, people, people have social time. They, they get together with family and friends and all those things. And right. it becomes uh, a distancing thing. And, and that is unhealthy. Now, as you mentioned, uh, yes, the age, uh, particularly in Florida, um, as the age has dropped, I believe the median age of, of infected back in, say, March, I believe, or maybe April, was about 67, and now it's in the mid-30s now. So that's, that's, yep. that's a huge deal. And I believe the share of cases uh, of, of the over 65 was, was at one point, like 25, 30%, and now it's under 10. So it is the younger that are, that are getting infected. Now, now to what point, you say that, so, so it is worth noting here that as it skews younger, the death rate falls. Yeah. While I don't want to see the infection rate go up any more than anybody else, I'm, I'm a bit heartened that we're not seeing it spread faster through the older community, which is clearly a terrible thing. And so it appears that on a voluntary basis as well, that our older population, you know, people over 60 with pre-existing health conditions are taking this quite seriously and saying, hey, I'm going to self-separate. I'm not going to go do these things. I'm not going to join in these outside activities or be part of these gatherings because I'm not going to risk my health. And that's working. Now, we, that was where I, where I was headed, which oh, is that, sorry. I, no, no, that's, no that, that is exactly right. But the, I guess to, to follow that up is, uh, is, yes, deaths have been trending down um, still, and that we expect an uptick a little bit. And as I, I'm looking at, uh, if you look at this on a graph, there appears to be about a, maybe a, a two-week lag, just to call it, for, for a round number between, between cases and deaths. Of course, they're, they're you know, highly correlated, and one, right, right, right. clearly you get sick, and then those people die, right? Um, so maybe as long as the deaths don't spike too high, we can maybe, because I'm thinking, yeah, you might want to, uh, not obviously, people are not going to want to gather in crowds, but maybe they don't mind. I mean, we saw, we've seen this, Rodney. We saw over the last month mass gatherings, and and I'm talking about protests. And there was, you know, the Trump rally, which wasn't there wasn't quite as many people as they expected, but there was still uh, some thousands there. Um, unless the businesses say no, I do wonder if Americans would be like, yeah, open it. I want to go because 
I'm just tired of it. And from what I'm seeing, as long as the deaths keep keep not spiking, um, maybe just just deal with it kind of a deal. What, what do you make of that? Well, it's easy to say and hard to do because um, at the end of the day, I don't know which 21-year-old is going to have an adverse effect and die. Ill. The thing is that the state, being you know your local county, state, or national government, has to care for you when you have that issue. And so if you got COVID-19 and you know stayed home for a few days feeling poorly, all right, make your decision. But if you're one of the ones that has to go to a hospital because you know you're in severe respiratory distress, yeah. then that's different. And if the beds are already full because so many other people did it, that's the problem. It's still all about potentially overloading the healthcare system. And so the, the term flattening the curve is going to come back around. And so I want to say half the ICU beds are taken right now. And with cases still rising at a record rate, they're looking out 10 days, 12, 14 days and going, hey, wait a second, that they don't have deaths at the same rate. But my goodness, we got a lot of people in beds and we're not sure where they're going to go anytime soon. We really have a possibility of overloading our healthcare system, which is exactly what we were trying not to do in the first place. Now, Rodney, this is not going away. Uh, so as, as a, there's, there's no way to really wrap up this topic right? so, because it is ongoing. And un- unfortunately, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I guess I was, I was suckered in a little bit too. I thought we were I thought we were really headed in the right direction, but you know, just the reality is when you start opening things up, um, it, these, this is not unexpected, these new cases. Um, so as long as, uh, hopefully the deaths continue to trend down and, uh, and hopefully we can kind of work our way through it. And then, and I was telling you before we started in my immediate area there, they actually, my County and the two counties around me mandated mask wearing when, when you're out in public, when you go into indoors. So maybe we just do that. Maybe that's just what we all do. And hopefully, um, we can, we can flat re flatten the curve. All right, well, let's move on to here to a uh, to a well, last week we talked about the Supreme Court decisions and one of them was a blow to the administration on uh, his on President Trump's attempt to roll back uh, President Obama's DACA executive order. But, so they got a loss there. But this week, uh, the administration got a win. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled seven to two in favor of the administration regarding speedy uh, deportation. And this involved the case of someone who was caught uh, over, just inside the U.S. border, I believe about 25 miles, he claimed uh, a credible fear. The agents said no, and that sent him, they were going to send him on his way. He appealed. He tried to appeal that decision. Uh, and the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the administration here, basically saying that uh, you, people who are put into a fa- in this fast-track deportation program can't appeal and that speedy removals don't violate their due process rights uh, against uh, unlawful detention. And... Uh, and that was one of the, the things said by uh, Justice Alito, who wrote, the, who wrote the majority opinion, saying that constitutional rights of due process do not automatically apply to migrants simply because they set foot on U.S. soil and have not uh, been legally admitted. So in this case where you get caught and uh, the border agent asks you about your asylum claim, doesn't find it credible, says no, you're out. <laughs> That's what the Supreme Court basically says is, a, is, is an okay policy for the administration. What do you, what do you make of this decision? Well, I, I found it interesting because one of the uh, tenets they relied on is, um, you know, a, a textualist point of view saying, well, habeas corpus, you know, where it's unlawful detention. Yeah. Um, they said you have to take the meaning as it was written back in the 1790s. And it's like, are you the same court that last week was, you know, finding all sorts of new stuff that couldn't have been there when written in the eight, 1960s? Same and one. So, 
<laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, I agree with them. You know, if, if you're standing within the United States and, and people, you know, enter unlawfully and you catch them inside the United States, can they automatically claim all the rights? It's like, well, that doesn't make sense because everybody would be waiting to put one foot over and then raise their hand. Exactly. Um, the, the claim of asylum actually went to the agent who's like, mm, not feeling it. They kicked it up to a supervisor who then agreed. They had the right to appeal to a State Department uh, administrative person who agreed as well. And so it wasn't as if some agent was making a decision on what was happening with the Tamil over in Sri Lanka, which is what this guy was claiming. Uh, it was instead, you know, the, the process they have. And so uh, the guy said, hey, you know, unlawful, um, you know, detention here. It's like, we're not unlawfully detaining you. We want you to leave. That's the whole point. Uh, and so I don't, I don't uh, make a judgment on this guy's claim, you know, that being pulled into a white van and tortured in Sri Lanka, which is apparently quite common uh, for uh, opponents of the government. Um, but I do think that the, the, the ruling is correct. You know, you're catching people close. You've got to have some way to, to quickly remand them back and you've yeah. got to have an efficient process. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, cause, and then you just, it's one case after case after case that will tie up the court system. And meanwhile, uh, as we've seen they you know, promises to appear, which are not always kept. <laughs> and then they were it, it, until, until we started, uh, cause it was a change in 2015. I mean, we don't talk about that much, but the whole asylum sinking, seeking thing was changed in 2015, which is what led to this huge mass of people who were saying, Hey, asylum, asylum. Uh, and so we're still kind of walking through that. And to say that we figured it out after five years by basically having people in these huge camps on the Mexican side of the border probably isn't the absolute answer either. But we'll figure it out. Yeah, we will. Uh, there was some action in the Senate where uh, the uh, uh, just moving, shifting, shifting gears just a little bit on police reform, something we talked about yesterday. The Senate, uh, they, it was basically blocked. Uh, Senator Tim Scott's police reform bill blocked by Democrats to debate on the floor. So that thing seems to be dead in the water. Uh, and then the House maybe is going to come up with their own version. So would you expect to see um, maybe some piece of police reform legislation coming through in the next week or two? Or is this all just going to be a political game? It's a political game. Uh, the House actually already passed theirs. And so the House legislation is more stringent. Um, it, um, it denies funds to police forces that don't uh, ban a chokehold. And so banning a chokehold is one of those things, right? If I'm in a fight for my life with someone as a police officer, shouldn't I have the right to use any means possible to protect my life? And I think most people would say yes, because it, at the end of that struggle, it's my life or, you know, the other person's life. And right. I'm the police officer, hopefully trying to do the right thing for society. But my goodness, who gets to render judgment on that after the fact and say, oh, well, you weren't really going to die from that. It was just going to be painful. So you don't get to use it. I don't know. <laughs> right. it, this, this is where it all gets crazy, right? Um, but anyway, so the, the Senate bill was more about, hey, let's study some of these things and figure out a path to do this better, whereas the House bill is, no, let's do it all right now. Um, the, the Democrats in the Senate voted against the bill, which killed it, uh, which they voted against bringing it up for discussion, is right. what they did, and so essentially killed it. 
And I believe what they're doing is setting up this thing where they're going to kick this House bill, which has been passed, over to the Senate. When the Senate doesn't take it up, they're going to say, see, the Republicans in the Senate don't want police reform. Eh, blah, 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 right? They're going to fight with each other. Um, that's not the fight to watch. The fight to watch in the Senate is what's coming, I think, with the election. And so, I, you know, people feel about it however they do. Mm-hmm. Biden is rising in the polls. And he's rising in the polls in the same six states that I've talked about for a couple of years as being the make or break for President Trump to be reelected. And I was, you know, doubting his reelection last fall as I was looking at these six states and saying, hey, man, you got to understand how the voting is changing there. Uh, And so as Biden gains ground and Trump loses ground, I mean, nothing's foregone conclusion. I mean, the polls were wrong before and Trump could certainly win in November. But if he doesn't, down ticket becomes the thing. And so nobody expects, I don't expect the House to flip from, you know, Democrat to Republican. It's possible the Senate could flip. And so if the Senate flips to Democrat, it won't be by a big margin. It'll certainly be less than 60 um, in the majority. And if you have uh, Biden in the White House and then a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate, but not with a 60 person majority, what you're going to see is the death uh, of the filibuster. And uh, this started with Harry Reid when he led the Senate years ago. He did it for lower court uh, appointments and said, oh, but it should only be that. But once you open the door, the door gets wide open. Immediately, you know, the Republicans took it to the Supreme Court, but they still keep it around for other things, which is how this police law did not, you know, this police legislation didn't come up for a vote. Um, but you will see the filibuster go away and then the gloves are off. Uh, yeah, that's certainly something to keep an eye on. And also just watching um, Joe Biden essentially do nothing in his campaign other than do a couple of Zoom chats and a fundraiser here or there. Doesn't doesn't talk to the press. Doesn't I don't think they've I don't think he's even had a re- response to most, much of the stuff that's been going on all that much. So it is, it's, it's an interesting strategy that apparently is paying off. Just, I guess, sit back in the basement and let. <laughs> just, I don't know. Does anyone, well, I he does. He, he issues statements and he certainly does interviews and he's out there, but he's, you know, just as it was a frustration to him and the DNCC and his entire, you know, operation during the height of the COVID pandemic that Trump was on television every afternoon and he was not. Um, we all know that Joe Biden is a gaffe machine. He's always been a walking gaffe machine is, you know, it, none, none of this is new. And so if he plays the strategy of fewer public appearances, but more written and other prepared things, it's better for him. And, yeah. and you do what you do to win. So, you know, it is what it is. Sure is. Uh, so we'll, we'll be following all of that. Ronnie, there's a few items, uh, a few small items that I want to hit on. Uh, the Summer of Love in Seattle with the, the CHOP or CHAZ, the Autonomous Zone. It looks like it's actually breaking up, uh, emptying out as, uh, well, there's continuing violence in the area. Someone was shot, or I'm sorry, a few people were shot, one person dead. Uh, and then and then residents and businesses serve the city up with a lawsuit um, yep. alleging, you know, violation of the constitutional rights, uh, which seems like a pretty big deal. And now it seems like this thing is kind of coming to an end. I think there's a couple of holdouts, but I wanted to talk about this because this might be our last chance if this thing completely disbands. So it's a very sad to see this, <laughs> this, this great American experiment uh, potentially fail. <laughs> well, I, 
I, I was surprised that it was allowed to go on this long because well, yeah. you're, you're handing this over, handing over a, a, they didn't just hand it over. That's what's so weird, right? The, the, the lawsuit brought by these business owners, the employees and the residents said, look, you, you helped them. The police not only left the precinct at the direction of the mayor, the police also brought them barricades. Hey, you need a few barricades? And they brought them bathrooms. <laughs> and, and it's like, what are you doing here? And so when they were, when the police were called to the scene for the shooting last Saturday night, they weren't allowed in. Yeah. And it's like, well, well, what do you mean allow? Who, who gets the right to say the police are not allowed? That, that's, that's the reverse. I mean, this is like Superman's bizarro world, right? The police don't ask for permission to go somewhere when there is a, um, a threat, an immediate threat. They get to go in. That's the thing. And so for, for them to, for them to back off because somebody, you know, a protester is standing there saying, no, you can't come in. My goodness, if I was a business owner, a resident in there, I'd be suing too. I'd be really, really unhappy. Uh, we'll see where this goes when the mayor comes up for election next time. But you know what? It's their city. If they want to run it this way, they get to choose. And if it's a small group that says we don't like it, move. Right, there was a story in the New York Times that, uh, that caught my eye. Uh, as, as the IRS had sent all these the first round of stimulus checks, uh, they found that $1.4 billion went to dead people, according to the Government uh, Accountability Office. And there's a funny quote here. Uh, it says, uh, basically, the IRS, was, they didn't quite check all of their roles in a rush to get, get the checks out. Um, yeah, but this is a funny quote here. The G GAO, Government Accountability Office, recommends that the IRS finds ways to notify ineligible recipients, meaning dead people, of the payments and how to return them, although it did not explain how that would work with regard with those who are deceased. Um, so how do you get a dead person to return their check, Rod? <laughs> it's hard. Um, it, it's definitely hard. It's the old joke, right, of the, the three friends who are going to, you know, give money to the dead guy. And, they, yeah. and two of them said, gee, I didn't put it in the full amount. And the lawyer said, <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe you guys. I put in a check for the entire amount. Uh, but um, the point is that um, they can't get the money back from a dead person, but they can certainly get it back from their estate. And so I look at it and I think it's funny on the face of it. We're talking $1.4 billion out of $260-70 billion that went out the door so far and 1.1 million recipients out of $160 million. So the error rate is around a half a percent. It's pretty small here. But it's still pretty darn funny that we've sent money to dead people. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ron. Let's do a little bit of a rapid fire segment. I don't think we've done this in a couple of weeks. Uh, so okay. let me get. Let me just. Uh, I'll throw one out and get get your quick uh, get your quick take here. What do you think about uh, the, the mobs uh, destroying abolitionist statues or just any statue? Or do you think they've? Uh, is, is it just? Where are we at here with um, with seeing? It's not no longer slaveholders. It's basically anything we can find. What, 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 it seems to be the case, doesn't it? Enough for it. If a local community wants to take something down, you go for it. There's a process. Make it happen. But a mob wrapping a chain around a statue and pulling it down is still vandalism and it's still illegal and they should still be prosecuted. Great. Now, one of the things you wrote about this week in Informed American is uh, commentator Jesse Kelly going after um, going, I guess, after what you might consider liberal institutions like Yale University. How, how if we're going to make uh, if we're going to play by the same rules, uh, the, the founder of Yale or was established by Elihu, sorry, Elihu Yale, that's mm -hmm. his namesake, who was a slave trader. So should we rename Yale or maybe destroy the whole campus altogether? Uh, <laughs> what do you think of that? That's the problem with the cancel culture, as it's called. Eventually, it starts canceling itself. Yeah. And so if, if you want to allow that game to happen, it's the same with um, shutting down speech you don't like. Eventually, they don't like yours. 
Um, as many people have said, if you get a thousand people in a room, I don't care what your very nice opinion is, somebody will be offended. And if you allow personal offense to be the driver of shutting these things down, everything gets shut down. And so I thought Jess Kelly was on point when uh, he set up the hashtag cancel Yale. Yeah. Ronnie, a survey found that 44% of liberal and 58% of very liberal, liberal respondents uh, favor the destruction of Mount Rushmore. Uh, should we all make plans to go see that at the end of the summer before uh, the, <laughs> the monument comes down? Have you ever been to Mount Rushmore? I have not, no. Me either, because it's nowhere. You have to <laughs> literally go hours and hours out of your way to nowhere to get to Mount Rushmore. And so, uh, you know, I look at it and think one more silly thing. Uh, but, but again, you have to look at how statues are made, right? And monuments are made. You look at Mount Rushmore and you have Washington on Mount Rushmore and you have Jefferson on Mount Rushmore and Roosevelt. It's like, what are you doing here? Well, he happened to be the guy who could actually put the funds out there for it. And so that's how he gets on the stupid thing. And so it's, it's, I don't know. I, I, it's certainly a national monument. It's a treasure. I mean, because it's a, an incredible feat that it was done. Yeah. Uh, so I would definitely not heed any of the calls to knock any of this down. It's silly uh, because that is, of course, federal. And I think you would have to ask the entire nation what they think. And I think people would be pretty darn interested in keeping it if you asked the whole nation instead of just certain segments. Uh, but uh, it's kind of fun, right? Fun to have yeah. a conversation. Uh, big news in the entertainment industry, something you wrote about, Rodney. The Dixie Chicks have changed their name to The Chicks. Right. Uh, question for you is, isn't that also kind of offensive? I thought I would think Chick is kind of uh, maybe a little sexist. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. And so I'm a Dixie Chicks fan. I like okay. the music from the 1990s, played in my car a lot when my kids were a little, very singable. Uh -huh. uh, and, and what people may or may not realize is, you know, there were a number of girl groups at the time, like the Spice Girls. Um, and, and there were a lot of manufactured groups, like boy bands are manufactured. The Dixie Chicks are not they play. I mean, Natalie Maines, the lead singer, does not, but the two sisters, they're playing those instruments and they are accomplished musicians. And so that's what made it kind of cool. Uh, but when Natalie Maines came on stage in 2003 before the Iraq invasion, when she was performing, I think in London, they were performing to a group of Marines and they said, hey, we don't support this, you know, war coming and we're uh, embarrassed that the president is from Texas, meaning their state, because they're from Texas. And so that kind of got them shunted by the country music industry and fans they say wait a second you know you, you don't agree but you don't say you're ashamed of your president you certainly <laughs> don't say it standing on stage in a foreign country yeah. uh, and so here we are you know 16 18 years later and they're changing their name for political reasons it's like does anybody really notice and by the way you took out dixie but to your point they left in chicks it's like <laughs> well my goodness now all the feminists are going to hate you for this because you left in chicks um, and as I wrote, you know, the problem is they're just left with the the, the, the which, yeah. <laughs> for people who don't know, was an alternative music group in the 1990s. The the is, is a group that was out there. And uh, so anyway, I don't know what you would call them at this point. <laughs> Very talented musicians who have done things on the political stage that got them in trouble. But that's a long, long title. So don't go with that. No, not, no, it's not catchy by any means. Not catchy. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Rodney, for coming on. I want you all to become informed Americans by subscribing to this channel and hitting the like button if you've enjoyed this content. And uh, also head on over to informedamerican.com and realhealthynews.com. Uh, and uh, also when you're over there, be sure to sign up uh, with your email address to get a, a daily email newsletter each and every day and by content curated uh, from informedamerican.com by Rodney Johnson. And Rodney, when they do that, what kind of, what kind of stories can they expect to uh, be coming down the pike over the, over the next couple of days? 
I think it's going to be uh, economic stories. I think as we, you know, have uh, masks coming back and we have the freeze on the opening in Texas and other people, states looking at this going, hey, wait a second, we're not sure what we're doing in the face of this um, pandemic and the resurgence of cases, that you're going to see people start worrying more about the economy and it's going to be driven by states. Uh, people don't realize it, but every state but Vermont has a balanced budget requirement and, and most state um, uh, year fiscal years run July 1 through June 30. And so their fiscal year is coming to an end next week and they're starting the new fiscal year. They need a balanced budget for the next one. And they're looking at this incredible downturn in taxes and going, wait a second, we don't have any money. <laughs> that means laying off workers. That becomes a bigger problem. And so I, I think we're going to start hearing a lot about that over the next seven days. Great. Thank you so much for Rodney Johnson. I'm Dave Oakenquist telling you to get informed, America. You've been listening to Get Informed America, brought to you by the Informed American Radio Network. Please like and subscribe today in order to get new exclusive weekly episodes. Any questions, thoughts, or comments can be sent directly to info at informedamerican.com. And don't forget to visit informedamerican.com to keep up with real, smart news. Until next time. Fight fake news and find common ground.